In case you missed it, we have brought back the crack every Friday night with the Irishman Abroad online comedy club during lockdown with guests like Jessica Fosterkew, Phil Wang, Ardell O'Hanlon, Jen Brister and many, many more. We bring you a gig into your living room on a Friday night and all the profits go to frontline charities. We also admit frontline workers for free. Are you a frontline worker? Are you one of those people? One of those heroes? Go to Return of the Crack dot com for details well laura whitmore has been a friend of the irishman abroad podcast almost since the very beginning when i recorded with her in the mtv studios in camden nearly eight years ago since then she's gone on to become one of the most recognized faces on tv here and at home hosting massive tv shows her own bbc radio show and a brilliant podcast of her own but her book out this weekend no one can change your life except for you is going to be a bestseller not only does it reveal some of the struggles she's gone through and never spoken about along the way on the journey but it also it's kind of a self-activation manual for anyone male or female who feels like they are powerless in their life right now i know we've all felt like that at times needless to say i loved it And I would recommend it to anyone out there feeling like this difficult period has no end. It also ties in nicely with our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw.ie, who are helping young people back in Ireland struggling to cope with the mental strain of the pandemic. Why not take a quick look there at their info, at their resources on Jigsaw.ie or recommend them to a friend. My friend and coach Sonia O'Sullivan will be back on this feed with me on Tuesday for the Irishman Running Abroad, which is our running and well-being podcast. Don't miss that. She'll be talking about her foods that will make you run faster and feel better. To hear the full uncut version of this conversation with Laura Whitmore, as always, just become a member on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. There's an extra 40 minutes of this conversation there. It takes two seconds to sign up. You'll have access to hundreds and hundreds of episodes you can't get anywhere else free tickets to the comedy every week and a lot more including laura's take on the random things that people will come up and say to an expected expectant mother out of nowhere moms will know what i'm talking about there so you've got to hear that there's the british army stuff and of course there's a meg matthews story that had my jaw on the floor. This is a belter of an episode. You really need to hear the whole thing. Come over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to hear it. But for now, enjoy it. It's the Laura Whitmore episode of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! 
looks absolutely magic. You must be oh. so proud. Yeah, you know when you do something ages ago and then you're like, oh my God, is it all right? Like, nobody's like, oh God. And then you end up talking about it so much that you're like, oh God, is it any good? Why am I talking about this now? Or, ages ago. But it's done. Yeah, because it was like four years ago, I was initially approached about doing a book. Hmm. So it's been long time coming. And and then obviously when I wrote it, I wasn't pregnant. I wasn't like, there's yeah. so much stuff in my life hadn't happened. And then you start promoting it like months later. Yeah. I mean, uh, all, uh, it's just a, such a... Well, Tina said, first of all, I would buy that book just to have it around. It's so beautiful. And she's right. Like, oh, that's the outside of it is so ridiculously nice looking that this is going to be an Oliver bonus, like mega hit. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the dream? Just just a coffee table book just for the shiny gold alone. <laughs> well, it is very pick upable as well. You know, like, you know, I thought that it was really brave to write it the way you've written it, because, you know, it's essentially these things I know in, mm-hmm. a, in a book. And, you know, the way autobiographies have gone, it's, it's hard to do one without people absolutely rinsing you for them and kind of haunting you with the book. But this is like it's nearly really fitting that it's come out now when you're about to bring a new life into the world and you're going to yeah. <laughs> then, you know, project all of the Whitmore teachings onto this young woman. Like, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Also, I think when we're we're all coming into the world again, when lockdown mm. is easing, I feel like we're all <laughs> being given birth in the next in the next few few months. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's strange because the last chapter of the book is called You Learn. And yeah. and for a reason, not just because I love the song by Alanis Morissette, because we're constantly learning. And it's just funny because I wrote this book. And it's kind of it was kind of like almost a collection of essays initially about lots of different topics and then kind of put it all together and try to kind of make it fit in. You're right. It's weird. People are like, what's it about? Is it a memoir? Is it self-help? And it's kind of like a mixture of both because there's anecdotes in there from my life because all you can really talk about is what you know. You know, Mm. like that's that's all you really can talk about. But I was I didn't really want to write a book you know, an autobiography, because then you kind of have to put everything in. And I wanted to pick and choose what I wanted to talk about because I wanted everything to have a purpose. It's in there for a reason. If I talk about it, it's it's there because there's something else I'm going to kind of springboard off from. So, yeah, trying to kind of put it all together. And then you kind of write this book and you, you know, I talk in the book about not having my shit together. And we never do. Even at the end, we're constantly learning. It's important to learn. And then the book is going to come out and then I find out I'm going to have a baby. I'm like, yeah, something else I have no idea about. So (laughs) it just never ends the next chapter. Well, well, we've kind of rolled into the chat and I, I say we just keep going. Because yeah, sorry, that's no, just like, because oh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of fitting as well because of the way in which it's written is mm-hmm. is similar to what we've just done here is it has a flow. There's a there's a clear mm-hmm. flow to it. That is, it's a high stool conversation nearly with a friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different people have referenced this in their I think Sarah Pascoe mentioned it in yeah. her for her words about the book. Oh, uh, Catherine, when she Catherine. says like a glass of wine with a mate. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So I wanted to ask about, you know, coming to write it and arriving at this Wilson Phillips uh, line as your title and the poem mm-hmm. that informs 
all the chapter titles. Can you mm. can you bring us through yeah. how you got there and which bit came first? It's such a long process. I can tell you the title of the book came last, <laughs> um, which is funny because normally you think it's the other way around. That was the very last thing to decide on. And as I said, there were lots of different issues and things that I felt more comfortable in the last few years talking about that I probably wouldn't have talked about publicly. I would have talked about to my mates and to my my circle and my little community, but not on a public platform because everything you say becomes a headline or twisted or into something that it's not. And it was only kind of in the last few years that I found my voice and my space, whether it's writing articles. I've been very lucky to interview a lot of people. I've found, you know, the type of questions I can ask, you know, coming from MTV, we've got five minutes with someone to doing Mm. radio where you have half an hour with someone or an hour with someone. They're very different conversations. And even from podcasting, like this just feels like a, a, a safer space than when you're interviewing someone on TV. So I found, you know, a lot of people were opening up to me that I needed to open up a little bit more. So I had kind of all these different topics I wanted to talk about, but didn't really know how to kind of put it in one book. And I had been approached about writing books before, you know, talking about MTV days and, you know, kind of some stuff that's a bit more glitzy. And then, you know, other stuff as well, which would be more self-help and kind of trying to navigate what it is that I wanted to write um, with the right publishers. Because, you know, a lot of people, and I talk about this in the book, have expectations of who you should be and what you should be. But I had to kind of figure out what I wanted to write first before I could make that decision of what the book would be. So I wrote a poem a year ago for International Women's Day. I was actually asked by... um, by London Tube, by the underground. Um, they have this really random people, not the actual tube line itself. That would be weird. <laughs> but um, they do these lovely um, all on the board kind of, you know, when, you, when you're commuting, it's a bit quiet at the moment. But when you're commuting in London, they have these boards at every station where these two guys started putting up these like motivational quotes and really lovely little things. Actually, my local tube always has it. And they asked me what I write, a, write something just to go up on... I think the one in, at the O2 in North Greenwich for International Women's Day. So I wrote a little poem called She. And uh, it's basically like she is strong, she is fierce, she is smart, she is tough, she is happy, she is sad, she is polished, she is rough, she is vulnerable, she is insecure, she doesn't always know what to do, but she learns, she grows, she's a force to be reckoned with, she is you. And it was really simple concept, but around that time, there's a lot going on in my life where I felt I didn't fit into one box. I was all these things, you know, I was trying to be strong, but I was also not. I also felt very weak. And I thought it was really important that we look at being all of all of it, not just, not, you know, I, I said at the very end, I said for all the ladies in all your forms. So that's that's you, Jarlath. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all of us, you know, we can all... Be, actually, someone asked me recently about a word that I've that's been used a lot around women that's kind of been used for, you know, one gender that's derogatory. And I remember thinking of the word emotional. I remember, you know, being called emotional if you're a female in the industry, if you get in any way upset or grow a thick skin. And I remember being like, you can be strong and you can be sad. Like, that's all right. So that this was the poem. I was like, how am I going to put this into the book and get everything to tie together? So um, as you rightly said, like each 
each chapter kind of starts with one of the lines from the poem. And I kind of felt that brought everything a little bit more together because we, we can talk about different things. It's not just one topic in there. There's lots of different things from vulnerability to strength, to learning, to perspective, to expectations, to lots of music, music quotes and lyrics mm. um, in there. And um Yeah, for me, at the end of each chapter is an affirmation, which is, or a little concept, something that you can kind of jump from chapter to chapter, because this is a book that you can read in one go, you can kind of dip in and out of. And uh, I wrote it and it all came together much better than I expected. (laughs) And then, then we had to come up with a bloody title. I was like, I have no idea what to do. I can tell you the hardest part of this book was coming up with the title. So did you have a working title at any point? Like it was my, my book? Or... I think it was something <laughs> probably like my book, yeah. Um, yeah, there was a few. There was a few we kind of, we worked around. What was it initially? It's, it, it's had so many throughout throughout its life that I think I just had no title for such a long time. And then we had like the title of the the poem. But then I felt she is you. Because yes, it's heavily skewed towards women because I am a woman and that's what I know. But, you know, there's little bits in there where I say attention men or men reading this. And I said, you read this book and I hope you get something from it as well. The first person to ever read the book was my friend Jamie, who's an author. So I didn't want to alienate one sex from it. And then then it was what else was there at one point as well? Uh, The unprepared protagonist. Then I wanted to do the the song lyric thing I thought I couldn't do because anyone who works in the music industry or in radio knows to use a song, you need to have the rights. (laughs) And that is a whole other (laughs) kettle of fish because you need approval. Even just on radio, if anyone sings a song, you have to get approval. And um, to use a lyric in a book, you have to get approval, which was a nightmare for my publishers because I mention songs a lot. And you have to get approval each time. You have to get approval. Unless you use the, uh, here's, listen, I've learned a lot. So here's some information that you may never need. You can use the title of the song, but if it's a lyric from the song, that's a known lyric from that song, you need permission. So you'll probably have to pay something. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I mean, the the lyric that you chose it is Wilson Phillips. Uh, yeah. And you know, I know that your production team on the show that I'm a regular contributor to that I love yes. dearly on BBC Radio you, 5 Live surprised you. Was it a birthday present that this surprise? Because I remember yeah. like your mind must have been blown out your ears and then there must have been a part of you that was like, I must ask about this lyric. Well, this that's kind of what um, initiated the thought of this lyric, because I wouldn't have even thought about being able to kind of use a lyric and on my show uh, weekly I do a, a, um, a feature called Under the Spotlight and I'll always ask the guests what's the lyric they live for like a line in the song that means something to them and almost like an affirmation and I think sometimes people are a little bit intimidated by affirmations or I think it's a little bit hippy dippy but song lyrics I think connect with a lot of people and it's kind of the same thing really and it's been interesting asking people over the last two years of doing radio what their song lyric would be and it can be everything from like we've had you know Bob Geldof going you know what bambaloo ba what bamboo um uh, tutti frutti uh little Richard because he's like I just love the sounds and I love what it means to me and it's just like the noise and how it all comes together and then you've someone like Mary Robinson who picked like times that are changing Bob Dylan and and then it was my producer, Chessie, who works on the show, who asked me one day, what 
what lyric would you pick if you were asked that? And I was like, oh, God, that's a really great question. Tough, because there's so many different songs for different parts of your life. But the first album I ever owned, 1990, I think I must have been five, um, was Wilson Phillips. And I have it on cassette still. My mom got it for me. And I remember the song Hold On. And I just remembered that lyric, no one can change your life except for you. Don't ever let anyone step all over you. And uh, I had it written on a, I had a chalkboard in my old flat when I first lived in Camden doing MTV. And I'd written that, um, no one can change your life except for you. Just to remind myself that uh, it's hard because sometimes it's overwhelming this world <laughs> in general. And you kind of feel it's other people making your decisions or leading your life hmm. or you're you're waiting for a call or you're waiting to see if he got the job or you're you know when you're single you're waiting to see if he texts back or you know it's always waiting for someone else and it was just a little reminder for me that it's up to me if I want something to happen like I can't be blaming other people um I have to show initiative yeah so I said that to Chessie and yeah, on my birthday, um, the band, the, she had the band, Wilson Phillips, come on and sing a bit, which trying to get three people to sing on Zoom from different Zoom accounts <laughs> was quite the task. But uh, it was a, it was a wonderful surprise. And it was only after that my publisher said, like, all of this book is pointing towards this one thing. It's all about you. It's all about, like, doing things for yourself. Not necessarily me, Laura, but, like, you, Jarlith, or whoever's the reading reader. it. yeah. The reader. And uh, I was like, I wonder. I was like, I, well, I've got their manager's details now. So <laughs> this could be a sign. A great publisher. And it, I think <laughs> I, I, like an amazing, like to be on it that way, to spot this and go, yeah. we, sh we should ask. So w yeah. when you ask, <laughs> she comes back with, <laughs> oh, I actually believe that the only person can change your life is God. <laughs> I know. Thankfully, I'd written the book at this stage. Um, and this goes back to we all interpret things differently. So someone can write a song and how I interpret it could be mm. different to someone else. And um, yeah, it was so China Phillips, the lead singer, and um, she's married to Billy Baldwin because we ended up doing a Skype call with her and Billy jumped into the call. So it was very, very surreal, random journey to get to the book title. But um we had to get permission, not only from her as one of the writers, but um, there's like two different labels involved. And thankfully, my manager used to manage musicians. So he knows how it works because I was lost at this point. I was like, I just wanted to write a book. I thought that was the easy part. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she turned around and, and she did say when she wrote it at 19 and she was going through a lot. And I think she had, you know, addiction and things like that. It was kind of coming out, you know, hold on for one more day. And we all have those down days. And it's a really powerful message. But I think she's born again Christian now. And God is more important to her than than anyone else. And I was like, you know what, good for you. But I'm going to keep with how I how I know this lyric to be, because for me, it means this. Um, but it did. It didn't make me giggle a lot. Yeah. But like, weirdly, when I read that, that's what she said. I yeah. did think, you know, back to the days when I was studying kind of philosophy and UCD and mm. how, you know, the belief there's the belief that God exists within you and that yeah. the, actually the two b beliefs aren't mutually exclusive, that her version mm. of God is external, but that mm. the, the God, you see yourself as the God of your own life and the main protagonist mm. in your movie. And so much of the mm. book is about 
activating people and activating mm. us. And that's why I didn't really see it as, you know, gender specific or skewed one way or the other. Obviously, there's things in it that I won't go through and I will never understand and will just have to listen to try and empathize and know what that's like, because as a man, a privileged white man, I won't know. But so much of the book spoke to me, Laura, because we nice. fall into these things like this. Each chapter, these are modern life pitfalls, essentially. And mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. are honestly saying I've done them. I've 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 done mm -hmm. them all. And I think <laughs> I, I think I can tell you some way to avoid them, even though I'll probably do them again. Do uh, it again. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ones that's like we we have to pick, right? We can't go through absolutely every one, but there's so many of them mm. that I think my listeners and any Irish person will relate to. Let's go to expectations first, right? Because this to me mm. is one of the funniest, one of the funniest bits, right? Is this uh, trip to Paris? <laughs> and oh yeah, <laughs> just love the idea of what you had built this trip to Paris up to be. And yeah. how, you know, you were hoping this partner or this boyfriend at the time would read your mind as to the expectations that you had of a trip to Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, and so much of that is Irish that like, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, don't tell him. <laughs> you know, don't, he should know. He should, he should know. know. If he's the he? one, he'll know. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Whereas he, he couldn't know. And let's be honest, a lot of Irish guys won't know unless you fucking tell them. <laughs> Here, yeah, here are the expectations. But that, along with uh, so much of this book, is you laying your cards on the table. Can you tell us a little bit about that expectations part of the book and how you reach that point of realizing, you know what, I need to communicate more what I expect? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, it's take me a long time to realize that I'll, I, I've talked a lot about other people's expectations of me, but I really had to kind of go back to the drawing board and look at, well, what are my expectations of other people and of myself and what have I put on people? Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, we joke there, but there is a truth to it. Like, I think it was like my first boyfriend and we went to Paris and I think it was over something stupid, like the wrong bottle of wine. Cause I wanted one bottle of wine and he didn't bring the bottle of wine, but I never asked him to bring a bottle of wine. So why would he? And, and in my head, I'd had this whole argument with myself that when there was no bottle of wine, I it was like, well, this is it. The day is ruined. But there, and I just never been like, Laura, bring the bottle of wine yourself if you want it that much mm. and just something silly. And, you know, we've seen this even, yeah, you said it's very Irish. We just don't communicate. And the one thing I say is like, tell them, tell them, tell the person in your life. If, if you're annoyed because your daughter or your mother hasn't, hasn't given you a call, message them and ask them to call you because why, sometimes why we work up things Why are we averse to doing that? Like what, where, why? Is, I don't know. What, what is Stubborn? that? It's a, it could be a stubbornness or is it just, we assume people should know because this is how we feel. Mm. So we assume and we put that expectation because we expect people to do that. So we expect them to feel the same way. I don't know. I'm. It's just, but I remember just thinking the majority of arguments that happen in the house and these are silly little arguments are just start from something so basic that if you're like, if you just talked about it mm. and didn't let it build up and you know, it can be from, 
oh, like during lockdown, you know, the other half has promised to put up a shelf and he hasn't done it. Just ask him to do it. Do you know, he's not going to think of doing it by himself sometimes. Or explain yeah, what it would mean to you if he mean did Mean to it. you and why? Yeah, and why it's important that it's a gesture more than the actual, I need another shelf put up. Um, (laughs) Simple things like that. But we don't talk to each other. Like a lot of times we just get angry with each other and then then it'll, it'll erupt and it'll be about something that it's probably not about at all. Mm. But I did have to kind of look at myself for that because I look back on times when I've been angry. I'm like, actually, that's nothing to do with the other person. It's me. It's either my own insecurity or my own expectations or my own lack of communication. So I kind of have to go back to tell them, communicate. Um, and it seems so basic, Seem- but let's be honest, <laughs> we yeah. all do it. It, se- it seems like, but like the way it's articulated, and I have to say the way it is laid out is different to how I've seen it before. And I, I think about the, the Ashling girls and their books. Uh, mm. And I wondered what books inspired you when writing this, because obviously there's you read a lot. There's, it's part of the job as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. there must be other books along this line that inspired you to go. No, this is how I'm going to uh, get to these things I know. This is how I believe this would be consumed the best. I guess similar to how I do radio as well, I really want to talk about real issues, you know, topical issues, but in a comfortable, approachable way, because I remember when I first started my radio show and I'm, you know, I'm on a station that people probably didn't expect me to be on because it's very sports and political and male dominated. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, it wasn't necessarily the station people would expect me to be on. But I remember like a few of my friends, you know, we were talking about the elections or we're talking about, you know, what's this is, I mean, I was going to say talking about Brexit. It could have been any time in the last few years. Um, and and a lot of people go, oh, I just, it's too confusing. I don't really get into it. I just leave that alone because it's not for me. I'm like, why isn't it for you? Because, you know, the news is, and, and you know, especially some news outlets, they're kind of focused on a very specific target market and a lot of people feel alienated because they don't really understand not because they're stupid not because of their intellect but because it's not written for them and I remember just having this conversation with a mate who actually didn't vote and I asked him why he didn't vote and he just went oh I just I didn't understand it so I just left it and I remember thinking but like it does affect you Mm. And not, and I didn't want to like look down on him because he he had a complete valid point. I completely understood where he was coming from, and I was like, I really want to talk about things, but make it relatable. And I've read a lot of, um, even like someone was talking about, oh, it's your self help book that you have, and I'm like, well, it is about helping yourself because sure, if you don't help yourself, no one else will. But I think a lot of people are kind of intimidated by a lot of these books because there's a lot it's you know there's a depth to it or it, it feels a little bit overwhelming so I kind of wanted to use all these different books that I've read over the years and kind of just put it to my life and make it a little bit more accessible maybe yeah. in a way or or less threatening or maybe getting a message out there without realizing them because sometimes you, you know you don't want to be forcing an idea on someone because these are some of my ideas some of them will work for you some of them won't but I've read I remember my mom growing up, my mom reads loads. So there's loads of books in the house. Um, and there's loads of like Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway and Louise Hay and The Secret and books like that. 
Uh, and even growing up, I was like, well, this is a little bit much like, do you know, you kind of think, what, what are these like self-help books? And then as I got older, you realize actually they are important, but it's, but they are, they can be intimidating. And I read um, a great book by, I, I love humor. Obviously I'm friends with a lot of comedians, a lot of comedians in my life. And I feel humor is very important to get it through tough times. I, I know I talk about grief in the book and I talk about like how, I went to a comedy show the, the day I found out something terrible and that's just how I deal with it. And I remember reading a book by a great comedian called Sarah Pascoe called Animal. Um, and it's all about the female body. And it talks about real issues and real big issues. And there's a lot of research in there, but it's also really, really funny. And I remember just thinking it, it just connected with me in a way those issues haven't connected with me before. And then there's another book I got given by a friend called Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle. And she she's probably even more open than I'll, I can be in my writing because she talks a lot about herself, but she used her own. So that's the short version of it. That's the beginning, really. That opening half an hour is the beginning of my conversation with Laura. Again, it's easy over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. There's loads and loads of artists and creators on Patreon who need your support during this time. And we are one of them. But in return, you will get access to hundreds of episodes, including another 40 minutes in this conversation, three other Laura Whitmore episodes, one with Roisin Conaty that was recorded at the Soho Theatre uh, at the original episode where I, I screw up the recording. <laughs> Very nervous me on that day. And of course, there's just hundreds and hundreds of episodes for you to choose from there, including our weekly America podcast with the brilliant Marion McKeown. That's exclusive to our members. And of course, there's the tickets for the comedy every Friday night. John Marr does the extra research for the show. Brian Conley does production. Tina and Mikey make it all possible. Massive thanks to you for listening. And maybe you will pop over this week and become a member. We'd love to have you.